This is Women Authors of Achievement podcast, episode 25, with guest Farina Schulzfeld. Back in 2016, Farina Schulzfeld founded Selfapi, Germany's leading online therapy platform offering effective and immediate support to people dealing with depression, burnout, anxiety, and other health disorders. From growth expert and business developer to founder and social entrepreneur, today we discover modern therapy, the benefits of online mental health platforms, and how people can face their struggles seeking professional health timely. So with that, here's my conversation with Farina Schurzfeld. If you enjoyed it, make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And hey, don't forget to take care of yourself and your mental well-being. Farina, welcome. It's been a really long time since the last time we saw each other. And so it's really great seeing you now in the setting of a studio. Welcome. Thank you so much, Daria. I would like to start our conversation and to speak about your very ambitious, very driven times in your early 20s when you were coming to Australia to kickstart your career. I was reading a number of your interviews and I want to know what was driving you back then that you really prioritized work over maybe, you know, the fun time with friends. Who was that for, you know, back then? <laughs> I think it's like 12, 13 years ago. Um, and I think it was a time where I just finished university and like you're at a point where you want to prove yourself where, yeah, like I think you're not at a point of reflection, but you're more driven by what you've lived through in your childhood, I'd say. And uh, what drove me back then, what drove me was, I remember like what I really enjoyed was having a green field for decision making. So like I remember when I joined a Rocket and Groupon at the time and like I knew that putting it like this, I was kind of in the management, um, in a management position with the, in the early 20s. My main ambition was like, oh my, one of my main drivers was, oh, I can make decisions and there's not so many people interfering with my decisions. And I think what that comes back to is actually what you want to have is some certain for, form of power where you feel like your ego and like you're seen and you're the decision maker and you're wise and people look up to you and like all that. And I think at that point in time, I was definitely ambitious, but I was ambitious for the reason mostly to be seen. But I think it's good for a young woman, you know, to demonstrate the leadership skills. It's a plausible. Yeah, I think I think it is it is something that a lot of I'm not sure if you can I've always said this that's like a male and a female thing that women are not as let's say ambitious at that time as men which I don't believe is true actually like looking at what's happening now for example but it was a good thing at the same time I think having a team of I think in the peak 60 people with 22 and not having learned from a mentor or whatever what proper leadership means and reading books about leadership. I'm not sure how responsible that is in the end, right? I mean, I tried my best for sure, but I'm not sure how, what level of leadership I could actually um, show at that point. But maybe also that was the reason why it really accelerated your career thereafter, that experience of leading a team of 60 people so early on. For sure. I think it puts you in a position where 
you think you can't show weakness, where you think you have to be the last one, the first one in the office, the last one leaving the office, all that stuff. And I, it, do, it does definitely show you where it gives you a perspective on how things could potentially go and like how you how you are and what you can and what you can't do. At the same time, I think you are constantly in a state of feeling you are challenged for who you are, what you do and all that, because you put yourself in a position where you think you have to show all the time what you can do rather than being in a position of like rest and saying, okay, I've seen this, I've done this, it's okay. You're constantly in a, in a hamster wheel, I would say, of proving yourself. And after working some time in business expansion, business development growth, when did that inner entrepreneur finally kicked in? I think that kicked in when I was a kid, to be honest. And I organized like sports tournament in my grandpa's garden with like all the neighbors and like took some pocket money for it and whatever. Um, I think that was really early on, to be honest. But like the the urge to not found a company in a in a company builder setting, but do my own own, I think started or kicked off at Rocket Dice, Groupon Dice, but then shaped itself into I want to do my proper own thing when I came back to Berlin in or five years later. So it took some time and some experiences to get to the point of having the confidence of saying, okay, I can do it on my own. Before we speak about the company, self P. I want to understand that, you know, and now you're also been building it for five years and now you're part of the advisory board. And I'm always curious to know why one would make this decision to found their own company. And Farina, how did you decide to start self IP coming back to Berlin? I didn't start the company right when I got back. It took, it took me a year to actually settle. Like I was away for a almost five years. So like I took a year to settle myself and uh, did a job at, a, at another company builder for a year. And then it was several, let's say, instances coming together that led me to build up the company, which was I was pretty much in my, in my inner surroundings faced with the problem or the challenge of mental health support myself. Plus, I was building a company at the time as like a side project was a kids marketplace or kids activities marketplace and I was raising funds for that one. So I had the problem, mental health issue, whatever, in my inner surroundings myself. I was raising money for the for the other project, side project, and was talking to some investors in Berlin about getting me funding. And then one of the guys said, I'm not gonna get you funding, but actually we're building um, a venture in the healthcare space, which you could fit into, and it's a digital health. Um, online therapy startup and then I was like what this exists like I didn't even know online therapy was a possibility even and I, I kept on chatting to them but at some stage I've, I figured for myself I was like this setting with a company builder again and then also the the other guys they put on the project they're totally different mindsets of like what they wanted to do in what time frame I was like mm, I'm not comfortable and I started googling for uh, digital therapy online therapy and I found an article about my uh, co-founders, Nora and Kati, on, I don't know, I think Handelsblatt or something, some big newspaper. Two psychologists are trying to disrupt or revolutionize the, the health market. And I was like, oh, interesting. So, th so there's other people trying to do this as well. And then I wrote a LinkedIn message to Nora, like cold acquisition pretty much. And I was like, hey, you guys are working on this idea. Can we have a chat? 
and we met, I think, a week later. Um, and they only had the idea at that stage, so nothing, no, not even a business plan, I think. And a month later, I was on board, and I was pretty much like the missing puzzle piece coming not from a an expert background in psychology, but bringing this like entrepreneurial side because that's what I've done before. How did it work out from the beginning? What were sort of their responsibilities and then yours? We split it, yeah, in three pieces pretty much. Kati was doing like everything clinical because it's a clinical product in the end. So like everything that is content of the, the therapy program, um, but also the psychologist. So everything deeply rooted into psychological background she was doing because she was working at a charity before. Nora was doing like everything that's pretty much health insurances, fundraising, HR, and I was doing everything growth related, corporations, sales, and a little bit of uh, product in the beginning as well. So what is exactly self-AP and how does it work? Self-AP like, comes from self-therapy and it's pretty much like a digital therapy application for people with mental health disorders. So everything ranging from depression, anxiety, um, in the beginning, even at eating disorders, which we're no longer doing. Um, How come? Because the, oh, it's a long story, but the long story short is because the law changed last year so that digital healthcare applications could be reimbursed by the health insurances since January last year. For us, like we had to pretty much from the product side of you focus on a topic or two topics where anxiety and uh, depression have a lot of comorbidities. So they're really similar and eating disorders would require a lot more evidence and focus and eating um, are pretty much experts in, in that area in order to get through that verification process. And we decided it's like our focus is mental health focus for now, depression, anxiety, because otherwise the stretch would have been too far. But it's a 12 week program and it's pretty much like an e-learning course for people with mental health disorders to bridge the gap before you consult a psychotherapist or in like light, light, light cases, um, you can only do self-OP or in the aftercare once you've seen a psychotherapist so that you have a solution for when you finish your therapy. So this is some kind of courses that you take during that period. And is there a way to track your progress? Is there a psychologist that's, you know, checking on you if you've been progressing with your courses, basically, and not keeping those like, you know, that happens with the language courses? Oh, yeah. I've started Spanish, I think, in some learning apps like Duolingo and whatever, like 20 times already and never worked. Now I have a Spanish teacher and it works. <laughs> so, yes, I can verify it needs people. And yes, we have those people. So, like, it's not just a, it's a hybrid product, putting it this way, like a blended learning. So, like, you have the online, the content, like exercises and videos and texts and whatever. And you also have like a group of psychologists that actually are there for reviewing your homework, that are there for having a conversation with you and checking in, are there to motivate you, are there to individualize the content and all that stuff. So it's a, yeah, it's a blended learning program of the psychologists supporting you in the e-learning of cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. And are there some cases like when the patient or the customer feels rather inclined to talk to the psychologist and have a call them or have a conversation with there instead of doing the e-learning material. What do you do then in such cases? It has happened, but what we try to do is, and actually this is what a lot of the traditional psychotherapists do as well, 
is even though people think that just talking helps them, it's often just when they do that, it's often just people screaming for help. Like, get me out of this situation. And because this is not an effective therapy method to then just have a conversation giving them that feeling, it often requires calling it like self involvement as well and working on topics in order to get you out of the situation. Long story short, um, yes, we do have maybe like a quick conversation with them, but we do push them to work on the content because the content is what actually brings across the change, what actually helps you to reflect on topics and to help you to change your routines, your thought patterns and all that kind of stuff. So if we have these requests, we take them, but we try to also push them back to the content to work on that. Is there also like a community aspect that people can like cheer for each other and maybe challenge each other as well? It's a really good question because we did have that in the beginning and we even had a forum like where they could like a moderated forum that we had to take away for data security reasons. So it was like really difficult to moderate on a certain level because if they put like suicidal thoughts or whatever in there, like you had to really monitor it really closely. So this was a twofold issue, monitoring and data security. So we stopped that. And we did have the idea in the beginning to actually um, even create an app where People could post, like, for example, something made them happy and people could cheer for it and stuff like that. But we never got around to do it. We always focused just on the therapy because we were thinking, and I think this is probably a good decision as well, that is complex enough. Um, even though this community learning aspect, by the way, and group sessions, for example, can be really powerful. And I think there are some other players now out there as well who, for example, do like group consulting sessions. And Farina, in your opinion, ultimately, can online therapy really help people and replace the more traditional therapy concepts? Help, yes, replace, no. Because I do believe that, and it depends on the person also, obviously, because in light cases, as I said, yes, an online therapy can be enough, putting it this way. But in most of the cases a 12-week therapy is not sufficient for changing thought patterns long-term. And depression, for example, in 80% of the cases is does come back. So it's not a once-off thing that you heal, but it's something that has a, has a comeback effect. So I do believe that online therapy bridges the gap. Maybe it's good for the aftercare, but that an actual psychotherapist and maybe even a clinic, depending on the case, is needed in most of the cases. Even just to quote you, you've said that after all, a mental illness does not get better the longer you wait. So you bridge that gap. But at the end of the day, if a person needs the real help, they should be reaching out to that. But you just don't want to someone to wait to get the help. And as I understand, the situation today is that well, how many months actually you need to four, wait? Four, five. Months until you get the actual... It depends on how, how you're insured and where you live. So mm -hmm. if you're privately insured, you can be lucky. No, yeah. you are lucky. Yeah. Um, you probably get somebody within two, three weeks. But if you're publicly insured, which most of the Germans are, like 70 million of the 80x million, you wait on average three to five months. And this is a very important time frame. I mean, this is where you can already heal. But instead of that, you're waiting and to get a support. Get, and I, I don't want to know, yesterday I had the question of... Uh, um, a guy like that I met and he was asking, he was like, 
and how how is the number now after corona and i was just telling to him telling to him i was like i can't tell you right now because the numbers are not out yet like the statistics only come out like the end of the year but i don't think the situation has improved i think like due to corona the the mental health issues have surfaced even more because people were confronted with being at home being lonely not having a daily structure not having social contacts and all that stuff so i think the waiting times my hypothesis that the waiting times will only get worse unfortunately but that also means that there were more people using online therapy platforms and maybe also more therapists were recommending online platforms in those cases yes i think like the the usage has definitely gone up i think we can see this across the line The problem was during Corona, also a lot of the psychotherapists were closed because they were not allowed to see anyone. So like, I'm not sure if they have referred online therapists that I can't tell, but I can tell you that the situation for some people who really needed psychotherapy support were actually pretty devastated. What do you think? Perhaps online therapy is a little bit more approachable for people who are more skeptical and stubborn? I think what we've observed in a few cases was The topic of mental health is highly stigmatized. This is definitely the case. And like the the problem is in Germany you have to pretty much take vacation, a vacation day in order to then see a psychotherapist because that's how it usually goes because they are not available during your working times. And the with the online therapy and with online solutions in general for digital healthcare, the barrier to entry is just lower. It's more anonymous. I don't have to drive somewhere. I don't have to take vacation. I don't have to make the effort of maybe calling like 10 different psychotherapists in order to get an appointment and stuff like that. I'm not sure if it's correlated with stubbornness. And I can't tell, by the way, I always thought that the persona of an online therapy would be different to a persona doing traditional therapy. But from what we've seen so far, it's actually really similar. It's not a particular kind. It's not, they're yet maybe a little bit younger because it's a digital tool, but generally like it's, it's a really diverse persona from the business guy who's 55 years old to the at home mom or the student who's just finished his studies or is in his studies. Like it's super diverse. And how in general with, with people who need help and they do have a mental health disorder, but they are rejecting this thought. They believe everything is fine, but this is clearly not the case. How do you get such stubborn people to get help? We don't get them. But in general, what would be your... Mm-hmm. We don't get... Like, this is the honest answer. Like, I think it's extremely difficult. And like, I mean, maybe everybody listening to this podcast can think about their circle of friends where or themselves, where there are people where you would want them to seek help. But yeah, they, you want to help them. And then how do you do that? I would say, like, first of all, I think for self-appeal themselves, yes, you can do, like, a lot of content explaining, like, mental health and trying to destigmatize with, like, awareness campaigns and role models talking about it. Like, you try to kind of make it more socially accepted. But I think it's still in the beginning. And, like, somebody who's really, like, I don't have an issue, convincing them takes so much time and is so individual and so personal that I'm not sure a company can actually do that. It's more maybe a more friend or like an acquaintance or partner or whatever who can push you to take a certain action. How do I do that? I would say the first thing for me always is 
not telling somebody like the teacher and I was like you should do this you should fix this I think you have an issue but more telling out of my perspective how it helped me maybe and I've done coaching for years as well like I think that's definitely changed my life and then just showing aspects of how it could be if they would take a certain step so I would just try to paint a picture of like And making them face that's maybe fears or whatever by showing them how a fearless life could be. But if you tell somebody you have fears here and there, like their instant reaction is defense. It's like, I don't have fears or this is normal or whatever. So I don't think it makes sense to pinch into their fears, but rather making them aware of their own fears by showing them how a fearless life could potentially look like. And this is how I try to, and I'm I'm definitely saying try because I don't think anybody can ever be successful with this all the time, but this is how I try to um, explain it to people. Because there's such a burden then on the family and on friends. For instance, if a person wants to talk to them and tell about the problems and the family is just, or friends are there, they're listening, they have their empathy for the person, but they just cannot do anything because you don't have any understanding of how to actually help the person get out of this. And for me, it's interesting, this bridge between someone complaining to you and you see that they need help, they need professional telling them what to do and how to change certain habits, how to breach this person from your persona to a professional and make it a very smooth transition And to explain that, of course, we can talk about it. This is not a problem, but I'm just not being able to change your behavior. No, and I can't solve it for you. And I think it's actually a really important thing. And I've not always been successful in that, to be honest, to, I don't want to say gate, but like to keep a certain distance also in a way that you can't change somebody else's life. It's their path. And like if they've decided to walk walk a certain direction and maybe for you this is horrible and you think oh my god like this person sees everything so negatively like they're depressed or whatever right like still it's their way and you can only show them options of like potential other directions to go to but you can't walk it for them so it's that's why I was saying earlier is like what I try to do is just like to to show, hey, look, there is another path, another path. And this is how it could look like. And this is how it could look like. But if they don't walk down that route, it's their decision. It's their life. Now, again, coming back to the times of pandemic, do you feel that this you know situation that completely overwhelmed everyone worldwide, it allowed people to understand and accept that they are struggling with something? And again, coming back to a lower barrier to get help. Have you seen higher amounts of people reaching out for online therapy? And the stigma have maybe even declined or even disappeared partially. I think it has shifted. I think, and this is maybe early to say because we're still in it, <laughs> but I would say Corona has definitely put us into a transition or a paradigm change for certain aspects and views on our lives and I think mental health is one aspect of that that we've become aware of topics we've maybe put on the side or hidden under the chair or hidden under the blanket where we could not run away from anymore and I'm curious though and this is something where I don't have an answer to it yet whether we are brave enough and ready to now not put it back there 
And this is going to be, I think for, for some people, this is definitely kicked off a transition, but I think it's also much easier sometimes to just put it back under the blanket. So yeah, well, I, I think we'll see over the next couple of months on how that will evolve. What is next for you? Is it another startup or is it more of a creative break you're going to take for a little bit longer? Become a professional tennis player. <laughs> maybe I'm too old for that. Maybe not. <laughs> I didn't leave thinking I needed a break. So it was not that I left the company thinking, oh, like I need to recharge my batteries. That was not the case. So it's interesting how life plays sometimes. I think I went out and for the first, or I left, and for the first of my life, I didn't have a plan B. I was like, I'm going to leave this company. I'm going to free some time and I'm just going to see what it does to me. And um, this I found a really, or I still find, because only six months ago, an interesting experience. And if you make room, stuff starts to evolve. Like that's usually usually how it is, I would say, at least for me. So um, I took some room to breathe and uh, I spent a lot of months now um, on Fuerteventuras in Spain. And I started to develop curiosity and uh, also joy in actually supporting other healthcare, not just healthcare, but like companies that are in the growing phase um, in their growth. So I'm doing like advisory consulting uh, now for startups, grown-ups, companies. But this has just evolved without me proactively pushing for it. But what came out of that was that I was consulting these companies now for the last six months and the majority were all facing the same issue. And the, the same issue for a lot of companies is actually the capital to support that growth. And I've seen a lot of companies also in the last couple of years that didn't fit into the scheme of traditional venture capital because they're in a space where it's too niche or because the company product is not scalable or whatever. Um, and in the last six months, I've seen a lot of them as well. And I've developed or I'm starting to develop an image and an idea to support these companies also financially, not just through expertise, but also financially, but as an alternative to venture capital, because I believe there is a gap. You only go to the, you either go to the bank or you go to venture capital and there's nothing in between. And for the companies that already have a proof of concept, for example, that are making early revenues, why is there not another option, which is, for example, like revenue-based financing or longer-term visions of, I want to grow and build and sustain, maintain, whatever, this company for the next 20 years is something you can't do if you take VC money. And I'm thinking there's a lot of really talented people, a lot of really good companies out there that want to build long-term, building a vehicle to support these companies also financially right now. I also wanted to ask you, you know, we started the conversation with you being very ambitious, being very driven, which you still are. But how did your perception of work changed over these years? The first word that came to mind was like, it changed significantly. But obviously, I want to give that some, some underlining of what that means. The thing is, it's like everything else in life, right? Like you start to go through a situation, you see things that you like, that you don't like, and you start out of these points, you kind of derive your own path. And I think in the beginning, when I started with Groupon and Rocket and stuff, I was highly ambitious and highly naive and like driven by a lot of factors that I could, couldn't even pinpoint. Um, and how has it changed now? It's a lot more, I'm a lot more aware of what drives me 
of what is maybe a good driver and maybe is not such a good driver and maybe also accepting that there is drivers within each and every one of us that are maybe not so healthy or whatever, but that are there. And I have a different KPI, putting it this way, for what drives me in life. And I think that the highest KPI for me is, do I go to bed with a smile? And this sounds so basic and like, so like, what? Cheesy. Why yeah, it's like super romantic, cheesy. But it's actually the most important thing in your life. And it's if that is your main KPI, obviously, I still enjoy having success in like consulting companies now and like seeing self a peak grow or whatever like that. Yes, it does make me happy. And I still like to make decisions on a green field like I did when I was 21. But I know now where it comes from and I know which part of it is actually me or something that I just copied, for example, from my parents or from people that were my inner in a group when I was younger. Farina, the last question from my side is who would you nominate as a woman author of achievement? Who's that person for you? Yeah, I was telling you before we, 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 we agreed on this podcast, I was like, wow, this is the most difficult question for me because I don't have one. I probably would mention, mention several But to put down one, just because I've read her book and uh, I think she's really accelerated a paradigm change in the US, is Michelle Obama. I don't know, like, I'm not a person that, you know, like, takes another person with every, every inch of their personality as a role model. I think it's always aspects. But if I pick one of her aspects, it would be the the range of change or the motion of change she's actually achieved. And I think this is pretty, pretty big. And also she just went and did it. And this is something that I admire to a certain extent. Farina, thank you so much again for this conversation, a very thoughtful, reflective, I think very down to earth and for opening up on this episode. And I'm wishing you a really good day. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.